All right, it takes me a little longer to get up on stage nowadays. I think they set a ramp out there for me, but <laughs> I think one step will be fine. I'm Pete Stearns, and I am thrilled to just join you guys tonight. Uh, I'm really excited to have the privilege of being on a teaching team with Dan Meyer for this Saturday night service, and I'm looking forward to just seeing this community grow um, together. So let's open our night together with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for an opportunity to be here. Lord, we know that a lot of us come into your presence with full hearts. Lord, we pray that we would just take a second to hand you off our burdens. To hand away the distractions. Lord, some of us are worried about things that are happening at work. Others of us are feeling tension in our relationships at home. Lord, many of us are struggling financially during this time. And Lord, we pray that you would just lift those burdens from our heart during this time. Lord, and now with empty hearts that are at peace, we come before you. Lord, fill them with your spirit and fill them with your words. Allow us to learn something new tonight and to come away changed. In your name, amen. In 2005, a website was launched called YouTube. Who in here is familiar with YouTube? Most of us. YouTube is essentially a website that compiles home videos for anyone in the world to see. And ever since YouTube was launched, there were people trying to get their home videos to go viral. Essentially, they wanted as many people as they possibly could to click on their video to watch it and to share it with their friends. It wasn't until 2007, though, that there was really one that went viral. And in 2007, there was a video about these two brothers named Charlie Bit My Finger. Um, 650 million people viewed that video. 650 million people clicked on that and spent a minute, and we just added another 300 more. So there you go. Um, But I know that for me, I was captivated by the emotions of the two boys. You see the older brother that starts off kind of amused by being filmed by his parents. And then you see the pain that sweeps over his face as his brother digs in. The little baby is giggling in a way. And of course, everyone loves um, a child's British accent. But you see, a lot of us think that YouTube videos go viral just by simply random chance. That somebody stumbled upon this video at one point and then shared it with 650 million people. But the reality is, is that a viral video is actually kind of an exact science. I was reading earlier this week a guy named Mark Brown, who's a social media blogger, and he wrote a blog about how to make your video go viral. And he gave us four steps. The first step, he said, is you have to have content. Without content to your video, no one's going to watch it. If it's not engaging, if it's not captivating, if it's not humorous, If it's not impactful, it doesn't matter how hard you try, people are not going to watch your video. They're not going to pass it on to their friends and family. So the first step to making a video go viral is to have good content. The second step, he says, is accessibility. And what he means by that is having a video which title directly correlates to the content within the video. 
I'm sure many of us, who in here has ever gone home after seeing a funny video at work or a friend shared it with you and you're trying to search for it to show your family to no avail? It's the worst, most frustrating feeling when you search there for 10 minutes and you finally just have to give up and you try to explain the video. See, if the title does not capture what's going on in the content, then no one will find it. If it's not accessible by search, then no one will find the content that's there. No matter how good the content is, if you can't punch in a keyword, if you can't type in what you think the video is about, it's not going to take off. So it's got to have content. It's got to be accessible. The third step is you have to be able to promote the video. Promote the video. If you have a good video with great content that is accessible, but no one knows to look for it, then it will never be watched. So you need to start passing that video along to friends, maybe posting it on your Facebook. Hopefully they'll post it on their Facebook. They'll pass it along to their friends and family and so on and so forth until your video starts to gain some steam and becomes viral. And the final step that he says is that you have to engage with the viewers. It's not enough to post a video, to make it accessible, to tell a few friends about it. Instead, you have to also continuously engage with the people that are watching it and the people that are commenting on it. You need to make sure that the content is still there, that it hasn't been deleted. You need to make sure that if someone has a question about what happened, you're quickly responding to that. Because if you don't maintain it, if you don't continue to engage with the viewers, it will just become a fad and it will have been popular at one point, but will slowly fall off the map. Now, obviously, we're not here tonight to have a seminar on social media. I don't think anyone came here to find out how they could make their home video go viral on YouTube. But I think that Mark Brown has accidentally stumbled upon a science to maybe make our faith go viral. What if we applied these four principles to our relationship with Christ? What could we do if our faith and our life was viewed by 650 million people. What kind of impact would that have on the world if our faith in this church went viral? So the first one is, what is our content? What is the content of our faith? Is it the good things that we have done? Is it our scripture? Is it worship? Is it coming together in church on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings? Is it service projects? What is the content of our faith? And is it good enough to go viral? I want to turn in just a second to 1 Corinthians 2. And the Apostle Paul is writing the church in Corinth. And he's trying to establish a little bit of credibility for himself to talk to these people. Because if you don't remember, Paul, for the majority of his life, persecuted Christians. And so for him to come into a church, there were surely people that were not wanting to hear what he had to say. And so in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 through 13, he says this. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. 
So Paul says, look, don't listen to me because I was once a Pharisee. Don't listen to me because my life has been turned around and I've done good things and I've spread the word through multiple churches. Listen to me because within me dwells the spirit of God. The same spirit that knows the very thoughts of your creator. Because the words that I speak are a reflection of that spirit that dwells within me. The actions that I carry out are truly the actions of God. And Paul and his, the 12 other disciples who are tax collectors, fishermen, Paul was a murderer, spread the church from 13 people to be the largest religious institution in our world today. They understood that their content was good, that their content was fulfilling, and because of that, they were able to make their faith go viral. But here's the catch. Their content is no different than our own. The Holy Spirit that dwelled within Paul, that dwelled within the disciples, is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We know that Scripture is true, and if Scripture is true, we know the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means each and every one of us is carrying that content within. Each and every one of us has the Spirit of God dwelling within us. The same Spirit that knows the thoughts and the actions of our God in heaven. That content can go viral. That content is worthwhile. That content can make an impact on our church, on our communities, and on our world. So then what are the next steps? How do we make it accessible to the world around us? Now, about 10 months ago, Pope Francis was appointed. Uh, he's a new pope, and he came into the Vatican ready to invoke change. Many of you have heard stories of Pope Francis. Pope Francis, we heard a few weeks ago from Mike Murphy. One day he was, was walking and a man approached him that was covered in tumors and boils and blisters. And he, he, he stood before him and the Pope reached out his hands and put his hands on him and prayed for him. You see, the Pope has humbled himself. Even though he's in a position of great authority, even though he's in a position of great wealth, even though he's in a position of great influence... He has reached out to the least. My favorite story a couple months ago um, leaked out is that the Pope in the evening, Pope Francis will dress up like a common person, sneak past his own guards in order to spend the night on the street with those that have found themselves homeless. And I remember this story was posted and it popped up on my Facebook and I read it and I was amazed by this man that recognized what the content within him was and made it accessible to the people on the streets. But it goes beyond that. Because those people on the streets surely saw his faith. Those people on the streets surely felt the actions of the Spirit. But so did everyone else. You'll know that recently, Pope Francis was um, elected as the Time Person of the Year. The person that was doing the most in this entire world, voted upon by Christians and non-Christians alike, had decided that this man had done something 
that was worthwhile, that this man had made his content accessible in such a way that it didn't matter if you were a believer. It didn't matter if you didn't believe that there was any religion in the world. There was something special about what he was doing, and it was something worthwhile. I remember as I was reading the article about um, Pope Francis and going out on the streets, a man commented on the section below, and he said, he said, I'm an atheist, but if every Christian acted like this guy, surely I would find religion. And I think it's true. The Pope recognizes that his content is good, that the Holy Spirit that dwells within him knows the thoughts and actions of God, and he has made it accessible not only to the lowest of the low, to the poorest of the poor, but also to anyone that sees what he is doing. In Matthew 5, which Bill just read for us, we, we, we encounter Jesus as he's preaching a sermon Commonly known as Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about the Beatitudes and how um, Jesus had talked to this group of ragtag people on this hill and shared with them that, that the weak in spirit, the poorest of the poor, the exhausted, the worn out, the beat down, those were the people that were going to inherit eternal life. He empowered this group of nobodies and he empowered them to do great things. And in verse 14, he takes it a step further. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he understands their context. These are people that are very affected by the darkness. Obviously, they're living without electricity, and so when darkness falls over the land, they too have to stop what they're doing. But he also recognizes that it's very common for them to light a lamp in their home that will cast light upon the entire house. Their homes are not nearly the size of ours now, probably maybe the size of this stage. And he says... Now, when you light your lamp, do you put it in the corner of the house? And everyone would obviously know, no, you wouldn't do that. Do you put it on the, on the back side of the house? No, you don't do that. You place the lamp in the dead center of the house because that is the only place that will illuminate the entire room. If it's placed in the corner, darkness will fall on the other side. If it's cl- placed in the back, darkness will fall on the front. And so Jesus says that just like that, your faith should be placed at the very center of your home. Your faith should be placed at the very center of your life because that way its light will cascade down upon everything that you do. And then he takes it a step further and he says, basically an outrageous question. Well, would, would anyone put a bowl on top of your light after you lit it? Obviously not, because then... It would defeat the point of having a lamp. It would defeat the point of having the light. But apparently not as obvious for us is that we do the same thing in our faith by placing a bowl or a basket on top of the light, on top of the content that dwells within us. The same content that Pope Francis has, the same content that Paul and the disciples have, and the same content that you and I have today. 
What is that basket that we place over our lamp? For some of us, that basket is success. I'm putting the lamp in the corner because if the lamp is present when I'm at work, people are going to look at me funny. People are going to think, you're religious, you, you can't be that smart. People are going to think that we're just talking the talk and we're not doing anything. Maybe we won't get the promotion that we hoped for because our bosses just don't understand that, that way of life. Maybe for some of us that basket is fun, is enjoyment, is doing things. Oh God, I'm going to place that lamp in the middle of the room as soon as we get this new car, as soon as we're able to go on this vacation that we really wanted to go on, then I'll place the lamp at the center of my life. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's God, as soon as I'm comfortable, as soon as the finances make sense, as soon as my kids have graduated from high school, as soon as I've navigated this job change, then God, you're going to be the center of my life. What is our basket? And are we willing to take it off of the lamp? Are we willing to allow the world to see the content that's within us? Because just like Pope Francis, if we allow people to see that light, if we allow people to interact with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, there will be a change. Our life will become viral. Now, Mark Brown's next one was promote. And promote's kind of a tricky one. I know that when we first said promote at the very beginning, I probably had a few people that were feeling a little uncomfortable about that. Because what does promote mean? Does it mean go door to door sharing our faith with others? Does it mean setting up a box on the corner of us of the streets in Chicago and start telling people about heaven and hell? What does promote mean? Because if we don't promote our faith, if we don't put a name to our faith, then how will people know to access the content? It's a tricky question, but I'm going to go ahead and revert to 1 Peter 3.15 for the answer. It says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Now, essentially what Peter is pointing at is that if we have made our faith accessible... Like Pope Francis, it's going to be noticed by people. It's going to be noticed by Christians. It's going to be noticed by non-Christians. It's going to be noticed by people that have been pushed away from the church and people that have been embraced by it. And Peter says, when you are asked where that hope comes from, are you going to point people back to God? Or in shame, are you going to point people back to yourself? Hey, I've noticed that you don't swear ever at work. Why is that? Do you respond, oh, it's just more professional that way? Or is your response, hey, I've invited Christ into my life and that's changed the way that I talk. That's changed the way that I uplift people. Maybe they say, hey, we've noticed that you live rather humbly considering the job that you have and the money that you have. Why don't you buy a nicer car, a nicer home? Are you going to say, oh, I just like to live frugally and save for the future? Or are you willing to say that I've accepted Christ and because of that, my money is not my own. And so I want to use it in order to make an impact across the globe. Maybe some of us will sign up tonight to run the Chicago Marathon with Team World Vision. When someone asks us, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you running a marathon? I know you, you're not a runner. 
Are you going to respond to them that you just wanted to get fit? You wanted to get healthy. It seemed like a fun thing to do. I wanted to check it off the bucket list. Or are you going to share with them that God's people are hurting around the world? And if I can do this, I know that I will make an impact on them. When we are asked, when we are approached, are we willing to openly explain our hope? Or are we instead going to point that hope back to ourselves? We have good content. We can make it accessible through our actions and through our words. And when somebody comes to us, we can name it so that they too can access that content. So that they too can be influenced by that light. A few years ago, I was watching a movie called Lord Save Us From Your Followers. Um, and it's, it's done by a documenter named um, Dan Merchant. And Dan Merchant is a, a devout Christian, follows God with his life, and he's trying to cast um, a vision of what, what the American culture perceives Christianity and Christians to be. And so he goes around, for the most part of the movie, in a hazmat suit covered in Christian cliche bumper stickers, right there, talking to different people on the streets and asking them, how have you encountered Jesus? Well, then how have you encountered Christians? And let me tell you, the response is rather underwhelming. In fact, many times people say, you know, I've, I've read the Bible, I've read the Gospels, and Jesus seems like a great guy. It's just the people that follow him that I'm not a big fan of. And at the end of the movie, he does something rather outrageous. At the end of the movie, he sets up a confessional booth at Pride Northwest. Pride Northwest is one of the largest gay pride festivals in our country. It's in Oregon. And a confessional booth, for those of you that know, is um, a place where you would go to confess your sins for a priest to a priest so that they might be forgiven by God. And so it's a risky thing to set up a confessional booth in the middle of a gay pride festival. And obviously it doesn't take off right away. In fact, he sits in that booth by himself for, for a pretty long time. But eventually one man stumbles in there and sits down. And before the man can say anything, Dan starts speaking and he says, this is my confession. And he begins to apologize for the times that he has mistreated this group of people that have identified themselves as gay. He begins apologizing for the times that the church has ignored them, that the church hasn't offered them this light. Now, Dan doesn't necessarily believe that it's all right to live a lifestyle like that, but he recognizes that unless he is willing to confess his own sins, unless he's willing to engage the darkness, there can be no impact. Who of us in here have ever driven all day on a road trip only to find out that we've had our headlights on the entire time? You see, light is not very effective when the world is already flooded with it. But you would immediately notice that your headlights were out if you were driving in the darkness. And this is what this engage step means. It's, are we willing to engage the darkness with our light or would we rather shine it here in the church? Would we rather shine it on our missions trips and mission projects with other people that believe in Christ as well? Would we rather shine it in our homes and with our close friends? Or are we willing to shine it into the darkness? 
I'm going to read that 1 Peter 3.15 again, and we're going to go into verse 16. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. See, Peter gets it. He says, if we shine our light into the darkness, one of two things can happen. A, we can fill the darkness with light. Or B, they will not know what to do because of the life that we are already living. They will not be able to respond. They will not be able to argue because they will recognize that that content is good. They will recognize that that content is life-changing. Are we willing to shine our light in the darkest places? Or are we going to have content that is great, content that is accessible, content that we're willing to talk about, but only with those that already know about it? I truly believe that we have an opportunity at Christ Church to make our faith go viral. We know that the content is good. We know that the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. We know that the Holy Spirit can change lives because he's changed our lives. Now, are we willing to ask ourselves those three questions? How do I make that spirit accessible in my life? How do I engage or how do I have conversations with people to name that spirit unashamed of the gospel and what it means in my life? And are we willing to engage in the darkest of the dark places so that they may too be flooded with light? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. Lord, we know that that is good content. Lord, content that is ready to go viral. The only thing inhibiting it is us. Lord, we pray that as we leave today, we would put your light in the center of our lives. Lord, we pray that we would just engage in the darkest of the dark places. And Lord, we pray that when we are asked, we will unashamedly share where our hope and our light comes from. We pray this in your name. Amen.